Hey, 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 it's Vince in the Bay. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. This episode, my guest is Jeffrey Carr. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate it. Jeffrey, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and your background and how you got into the information security in- industry. Sure. I spent some time in the uh, U.S. Coast Guard as a radioman. This was back in the uh, late 70s. And uh, while I was working, we were listening to emergency frequencies, which is what the Coast Guard does, listen for distress calls. And this huge Morse code transmission blew, just blew everybody out of the water. And it, uh, it turned out to be a, a transmission that was coming from one of the U.S. government agencies to a location in South America. And I, I was thinking, you know, that's, it's really cool to sort of see how security agencies operate uh, across spectrums, like something like even Morse code. You know, again, this was back in the late 70s. And in my last year in the Coast Guard, uh, all, of a, all, of a, all the radio in there, and there were, there's only a handful of Coast Guard back then especially, so we were trained across pretty much every communications medium because there were, there were so few. And there was a posting that went up on the wall for a radio man to come to work at Central Intelligence Agency. And so I thought, well, that sounds like fun. I, you know, I was, I'm single. I don't really have any ambitions. Uh, and I was having fun on the air. So I spent, I don't know, probably six months during my last year of the Coast Guard going, jumping through a bunch of hoops to uh, qualify and, uh, for that position. And then President Carter put a hiring freeze on. And so my time at the Coast Guard ended. There was still a hiring freeze on, and I was too young and stupid to uh, to wait around uh, for that to get lifted. So I moved on to other things, and I spent probably the next 20 years having fun and really doing nothing of, of any uh, significance. So and wait, finally, wait, wait. So you were you were a Carter administration away from being a CIA agent? Is that what I'm to understand? Pretty much. Carter had not. Uh, instituted this hiring freeze across the board, uh, I probably would have gone to work. I don't know that I would still be there, but, you know. You would, yeah, oh, so. you would still be here, but maybe, <laughs> maybe I wouldn't know. Um, so, yeah. But the point is uh, that national security has always been an interest of mine. And so when I got a job at Microsoft, this was during the Iraq War in 2005, uh, I was working on a financial intelligence product uh, I approached some researchers there about building a side product that used stylistic analysis to leverage uh, scientific uh, research to identify people based on how they write online. And there is, in fact, a great amount of research that's done on that. So uh, experts could look at whatever the given language is. If they have a large enough sample, they can discern quite a bit of information about the person's gender, his approximate age, uh, where he was born, uh, his profession. I mean, it's really incredible uh, what can be gained through uh, an application of stylistic uh, um, analysis. And in fact, uh, while I was doing that at Microsoft, uh, one of the experts that I contacted to help uh, develop this is still working with me. It's uh, Shlomo Argali, who's a tenure professor at IIT. And I'm sorry, could you, could you say his name again? Slobo, S H L O M O Argoban. Slobo, Slobo, Slomo, Slomo. Slobo is a great. He's a great guy. He's a very well-regarded researcher. He's got an international reputation, and and I was very fortunate that he was interested in my project. 
And we've actually uh, been friends ever since. And this is almost 10 years now. And when, so when I started Thai Global, uh, there was an opportunity to do some linguistic analysis. The first time was with Sony. And the hackers purportedly from North Korea, he was able to put together a, a study that demonstrated that their primary language was most likely Russian and not, North, and not Korean. And then just most recently with uh, Guccifer 2.0 where he was able to identify that he, that, that this, whoever this person was, was not Romanian, was most likely Russian. So uh, it's a really a fascinating field. But, and, and so when I left Microsoft, I had, by that time had already been publishing a blog about cyber warfare and, and cybersecurity for about approximately two or three years and wrote a book called uh, Inside Cyber Warfare. I did an open source uh, investigation called Project Grey Goose in 2008 that looked at uh, the possibility that the Russian government was behind the cyber attacks against Georgian government websites during the Russia-Georgia war. Back then, in, in 2008, the pervasive view was these were patriotic hackers and that the Russian government was not directing them. We looked at it and felt like it was the opposite. And surprisingly, that back then, that, that was the minority opinion today. That would be, uh, that would be the, 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 the conventional opinion. And um, I wrote a book uh, in 2009 that more or less started my uh, career as a, uh, a speaker and a consultant. I spent uh, several years supporting post-breach remediation with the Chertoff Group and uh, as a contractor and uh, eventually formed TIE Global to help companies identify their high-value digital assets. You mentioned um, two hacks in particular, the Sony hack. That's the one that was back Christmas a couple of years ago that yeah, yeah. everybody attributed to North Korea. And to this day, people still say it's North Korea. But you're saying he found evidence to suggest otherwise? The way that attribution worked was they, nobody is saying that the hackers were members of North Korea's military. They're not even necessarily saying the hackers were North Korean. What the White House said was that the North Korean government is responsible. So the hackers could have been from anywhere. And it's one of those things where there's a huge loophole. So if you read the language, they never actually said that North Korea is, uh, did the hack, only that they bear responsibility. We demonstrated that Russian hackers had uh, access to the Sony network. And then when, when Shlomo did the language analysis from many samples. I think it was 20 samples ranging from September to December. Uh, it was pretty clear that the primary language of the people who wrote those uh, notes was uh, most likely Russian. And uh, we ruled out some other languages. It was certainly possible that it was Korean, but, but not the most likely possibility. That kind of brings me to where we're at now with the uh... Uh, attribution in the case of this these DNC uh, leaked emails. Do you think the same thing is going on here where there's a rogue uh, entity, whether it's Russian, whether it's some Eastern European uh, gang, cyber gang, um, that passes this on to state entities, not necessarily sponsored up front, but they kind of come across something know it's valuable on the black market and will approach nation states and other um entities that are that are interested in that is that how it works can you break that that down for me so 
attribution is really next to impossible unless the person is made some fatal mistake, like there, there was a guy who was caught on uh, video. Uh, he tried to hack into a network. They, somebody in the network discovered it. They, they uh, created a lure that the attacker uh, clicked on that compromised the video camera on his computer, and the victim company was actually able to, to, to watch the attacker on video trying to uh, compromise their, their own website. So, it, you know, it's like silly mistakes like that. Sometimes you literally know exactly who did it. Uh, same with other, other cases. The FBI, uh, from time to time, will be successful in uh, investigating and identifying and taking to court individuals involved in a cyber attack. Um, so, uh, but there are, they are far, far outweighed by the cases where you simply don't know who's responsible because there are so many ways to disguise who you are if you have a sufficient skill and, uh, and budget. This also does not necessarily imply that it has to be a state. Uh, cyber criminals make millions and millions of dollars today. I mean, it's an incredible business. Frankly speaking, if I didn't have a conscience and didn't mind uh, you know, breaking the law and hurting people, I'd be right in it with them. Uh, because if you know if you're a, a sociopath, this is utopia for you. Um, there are gangs in uh, Russia that uh, one article came out. Russian Ministry of Communication published the information. A 20-person gang, criminal gang in Russia, earned a billion dollars in three years. That's that's just crazy. And uh, they're investing, according to the article, 40% of that in product development. You know, it's it's basically like any other sophisticated business with their own product development teams, their own operators, uh, their own analysts. It's all, it's, it's very, very organized, very profitable, and absolutely no way to distinguish uh, their work from someone who's affiliated or working for an intelligence service uh, in Russia. And that's, that's the problem. So how do you make that distinction? Because um, that's a vital distinction. If, if you want to say that it was the Russian government, you've opened up a huge can of worms politically, you have put uh, lots of innocent people in potential jeopardy. You know, when the U.S. initiates economic sanctions against Russia and Russia was not responsible for this, that's going to hurt uh, innocent people. It's, further, it's going to inflame international tensions, you know, for absolutely no reason, uh, assuming that the Russian government was not the responsible party. In the meantime, um, this, all this conjecture is being transformed into fact, by the press they i mean yeah. now when you turn on the news it's putin and trump are in bed with each other and they're sabotaging the 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 clinton campaign but hang on a second who really benefits from this this is giving trump some negative publicity this is forcing him to defend himself and it's a distraction but it doesn't matter it's already out there people are are, are already associating russia with the trump campaign I had a sort of a snap reaction. I assumed that uh, it had to be Russia because CrowdStrike had a blog that told me it was Russia. They, they threw up some fancy code, and I'm not a computer scientist. I'm not a programmer. I'm not a hacker. All right, these guys are the pros. They know what's going on. So you wrote this medium piece where you were challenging the attribution narrative of the Russian government being behind the DNC breach. You sort of pushed back against a narrative 
put out there by this professor, this King's College professor, uh, Thomas Ridd. And you broke down his argument and counter-argued it. Was it yesterday or the day before? He counter-argued your points. So I know Tom. He's a great guy. Very smart. He's he's certainly open to all points of view. He uh, has an opinion that he strongly believes, which is that attribution is not only possible, but uh, getting better and better. He shares this opinion with other folks in the cybersecurity industry and that are well-known. And um, and I respect that. I mean, I, the fun part of being in this profession, and, and frankly speaking, of being in any profession, is uh, to to debate controversial topics with your peers, and uh, you know, get a little education and, and stimulation uh, going. So, when he first came out with his paper on attribution, I disputed some of the points there. When this article, I was uh, particularly surprised, frankly, at some of the leaps in in judgment that he made. And I pointed those out in, in my response, one of the biggest of which is to assume that it was a Russian intelligence service. So, you, you know, you can say that the, that the threat actor groups involved were Russian. That doesn't mean that they were members of Russia's intelligence service. And Thomas made that factual error in his one of the one of the factual errors that he made. That's what I think is going on. These could very well be Russian, sure. uh, Russian hackers, but it doesn't mean they were sponsored by the Russian government. And it doesn't, and it also doesn't mean that the Russian government didn't get eventually get their hands on this. It just means that, you know, these intrusions, like one of them apparently was, was, uh, had been embedded for like a year. So who knows after the, the first person who, who finds the exploit shares that with another person, shares that with another person. By now, there could have been dozens of different hackers, even state actors who have followed that path and have gone in there and pilfered stuff. And, and it's, it, to me, it's almost impossible now to really say, okay, who was in there first? Who's really responsible for the, the, the initial breach? You know, it almost is a moot point where it ends up going back to because the governments like Russia, China, the United States have the best cyber security forensics there is. They always catch the bad guys. I don't know. It, it just it just opens up a huge can of worms, and you could go anywhere with it. And it's and it's hard to figure out. All right, what's really important here? Who actually did it? Uh, so it's an important distinction between was it a person or was it an agency? If it's a person, then it's just a crime. You get the FBI involved. You get law enforcement involved. It's a crime. If it was a, a government agency, then it would be espionage. Espionage really is not a crime. I mean, it, it simply isn't a crime. Uh, so how do you make that distinction? All you have to go on is that you think that the, the native language is Russian. You think that the code was compiled during business hours in Moscow. Uh, you know, that's also not only just circumstantial, but it's like, it, it, it's hugely circumstantial. Uh, yeah, because all that can be spoofed. Yeah, everything. Every bit of technical evidence can be spoofed. So, and, and I read somewhere that um, they, they found the name of somebody, of, of a Russian um, military official in there somewhere. 
national security people are saying, oh, I think that was the Russians giving us a wink, telling us, hey, we, we, we put our mark on this. But it's like, hey, yeah. that could very easily be China putting the that could be Turkey. That could be Israel. It could be it could be somebody. It could be the Syrians. Who knows? Yeah. So the name was that it was the, the founder of Russia's secret police back in like the 1920s or something. Notorious, a notorious Russian uh, brutal agency, the secret police. And that was the name Felix, Felix, someone or other um, that they put. That's a, clearly that's a that's a joke. I mean, I looked at that and I laughed. Somebody is just exercising a sense of humor. Uh, by inserting that. The fact that anybody would actually look at that and think that it, it was for real or think that they, they want to, to, to show, here's a little, you know, teaser saying it's really us. It's, it's just, just so ludicrous. I can't even imagine giving it a moment of serious consideration. Uh, it, it, everything about this flies against what every intelligence agency in the world's job is, you know, which is to operate covertly. And who would just the very fact that they are using an infrastructure, which is has been in operation for 10 years and is and and FireEye called calls it APT 28 and CrowdStrike calls it something else. And another firm calls it something else. The fact that that's a known or or let's say a blown infrastructure because everybody knows about it is is another reason to be skeptical. I'm looking at the uh, FireEye report. They call it hammer toss. APT-29. Yeah, APT-28 and APT-29 are the two groups using the FireEye designation. So why would any agency, and, and these are public, right? These reports are public and have been, yeah. they've been known about for years, uh, or uh, one I think is a little bit newer than the other, but why would any agency uh, 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 continue using loan tools, techniques, procedures on purpose? Uh, it's just, it, 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 it's not, it doesn't make any sense. It Neither the FSB or the GRU or the SVR are idiots. And that's, that's what CrowdStrike's report and FireEye's report and, you know, every other uh, for-profit cybersecurity company that's, that's got their, their toe in the water of, of, uh, of threat intelligence uh, asks people to believe that intelligence services will simply continue to use teams that have been exposed. I, I, frankly, that just doesn't make any sense to me. It should, I believe that it doesn't make a lot of sense to people um, that are actually uh, in uh, the business. Um, and that's why Clapper uh, at the Aspen Forum asked everybody to essentially calm the fuck down. I think yeah, that yeah. I just saw this. Uh, I just yeah. saw his quote. Um, I was re- reading this article. Business Insider Natasha Bertrand wrote about uh, Clapper saying at the Aspen Security Forum, "We're not quite ready to make a call on attribution," and he's. I guess he's really uh, uh, surprised at people how people are. He's a quote hyperventilating over uh, Russia's alleged involvement. In her same article, she points out how Snowden claims, oh, the U.S. intelligence community can totally figure out who this is. You know, the NSA, they're they're like they have they they can see more things than God. Um, Do you agree with that? Well, I think it depends on the country. So I, I do agree that the NSA has huge capabilities way beyond anything that any other certainly way beyond anything that a private company or, uh, you know, like CrowdStrike or FireEye or anybody else has. 
because they're they're able to penetrate the infrastructure, the back, the internet backbone, worldwide, and have. We know that thanks to Snowden's earlier release. However, having said that, the fact that they might be collecting billions and billions of bits of data doesn't mean that they can mine it all. Uh, they don't have insight into certain parts of the world, like North Korea. Even with all of their great capabilities, North Korea is still very dark uh, for many Western intelligence agencies. And there are probably other countries you know, that fall into that category. Um, the job of attribution rightly falls on the NSA, the CIA, and uh, the FBI, and other agencies who's, you know, who are in that business, who have the resources as best they can to make that judgment. And that are not, and, and, and whose judgment is not impacted by a for profit company, and that they are doing it as civil servants, you know. You uh, point out the fact that uh, a lot like FireEye is a publicly traded company, CrowdStrike is privately held, but yeah, they're for profit companies. Now, are you suggesting these information security firms should be nonprofit or or strictly um, state institutions? No, no, they, no. I'm all in favor of uh, for-profit companies. I have one that I hope one day will make a profit. The uh, that that's the beauty of a of a free market. Yeah, more power to them. Congratulate George Kurtz for a remarkable achievement in creating a, a, a billion-dollar company, or at least a unicorn, with CrowdStrike. I give him credit for building a, a great business. It's a great business. And, uh, and I respect the work that Sean Henry and that uh, Stephen Chabinsky has done for their entire career at FBI. Uh, government service is a thankless job. And so all, having said all of that, I would prefer that for-profit companies stick to technical analysis and, and stick to the, uh, to the job of... of uh, helping companies protect and clean their networks uh, and not make guesses uh, as to attribution because it's impossible uh, to, to really know and because the market forces uh, move in favor of companies that can make grand pronouncements. This attack came from China. I mean, Mandiant, Mandiant built itself on the back of making pronouncements about China. They made it, that that strategy made everyone involved very wealthy, and there's no counterbalance to that kind of bias, you know, to that kind of uh, of draw. Hey, let's try to find out who is responsible, and if we can, and if it looks like it's going to be one of our favorite countries, and we can actually create a compelling case to support it, we might be able to get a headline in the New York Times or in the Washington Post, you know. And that, in turn, translates into business. I mean, look how much business CrowdStrike is getting because of their initial... Oh, yeah. Uh, they're expanding. They they now have an Asia-Pacific division. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's how it works. And then... Um, which which brings up a question to me, is like, how far can they expand and still keep... Um, like, uh, there's got to be a point where these firms come up against a conflict of interest and become like a hacking team where they, they, they were selling uh, their services to, um, to, to the highest bidder, to any, any government that would pay them? I would never suggest that. Uh, and I'm, the people that I know, I mean, I don't agree with a lot of the things that Dmitry Alperovitch says, but I took completely respect him. I would never, uh, never ever uh, say anything negative about him or Sean Henry or George Kurtz, uh, any of the folks over there. I think they're all professionals and have served the country uh, 
uh, honorably in, uh, in the case of government service or uh, and, and are successful as businessmen. So, you know, this is not personal. Uh, I simply know that uh, you'll never, you'll, you'll never, you, you don't have a countervailing uh, proof to say that your assessment was, was ever correct or incorrect. So as a result, you can't tell how good you are or how bad you are uh, in, in, these, in this attribution guessing game. With, with the real, uh, real quote-unquote intelligence community, you do find out how good or how bad you are. When every time that something terrible happens and your analysts didn't catch it, you find out how, you, how bad you are. And uh, there's a commission investigation and there's you know people are held accountable and there's maybe new policies put into place so you learn from experience you know i I wrote in one of the articles that mark twain quote good judgment comes from experience experience comes from bad judgment well that's true in 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 for these intelligence agencies but in the world of cyber intelligence of especially uh, privately owned companies or or in the case of federal public companies you never get the blowback you never discover that you were right or wrong so you just keep merrily on your way, making these pronouncements, and if they're salacious enough, uh, getting reaping uh, the benefit of a new business and and uh, growth. Okay, if if attribution is is a, a wide open game that anybody could play, let's play it. Who do you think could have done this particular uh, DNC breach? I personally, I think that it, they were probably. Uh, Russian speaking, and that they were not affiliated with the Russian government. It doesn't make sense to me that, especially looking back to to the chaos that has been going on at the GRU uh, for the probably the past ten years, that they would even waste one iota of resource on something like this, and that they would be able to consistently field this APT twenty eight teams, if that's even what it is, uh, for 10 years during the course of that chaos. It's not even their particular area of expertise. So the, the whole GRU assignment just smells of bullshit to me. And I think anybody who knows, uh, who has an in-depth knowledge of Russian intelligence, not a Westerner, not a, even a Western expert, but a, but a Russian uh, or Russian-speaking uh, person with with an intelligence background, uh, I'm confident would would be just as skeptical. And so, let's let's face it, Putin is ex KGB. He's a smart guy. He knows what's going on. If the Russians had intel on political activity here, I don't think they'd they'd show their hand. Do we? You know, we know there's hacking back and forth between the U.S. and China and Russia, and nobody divulges any of the, that stuff. None of that stuff ends up on WikiLeaks. Guccifer 2.0, on the other hand, what is that all about? So my, my guess is that Guccifer 2.0 was probably responsible for the attack or just part of a group of people that were involved um, whether he knows the others or not, I honestly I don't know. It easily, I think it easily could have just been. You know, he he could just have a presence on the DNC network along with other other groups. Just that it, it, it's not uncommon to have multiple parties in a network compromising the network. You won't. You'll never discover all of them. Probably that's that's probably what happened with Sony. Uh, there might have been North Korean or South Korean hackers on the network, but there are also Russians on the network. There. Are, 
who knows however many other countries were on that network. I mean, it's not like Sony was had a lot of paid a lot of attention to securing their network. Easily could be the same thing with the DNC. Goose for uh, I would uh, currently is Russian, but uh, that tells you nothing. So the fact that somebody is, I hate the fact that whenever we in security say, "Oh, he's Chinese" or "Oh, he's Russian," like as if it's, as if they're automatically the enemy, you know. So I think I think Goose for Two was just some guy that speaks Russian uh, that uh, had some fun in, inside that network and decided to say. Uh, how how ridiculous uh, the attribution to FSB or GRU is. It was just me, and, uh, you know, ha, 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 fuck you. I simply, I believe it's, that's probably all it is. It, the whole the whole scenario, to me, just smells like the same way that Lulasek um, and Anonymous have behaved. Uh, a, a guy that was uh, Ukrainian, Russian by birth, but Ukrainian, whose, whose group was releasing lots and lots, it would penetrate an agency... And, re- and then release the information uh, to to embarrass the agency. It's that's that's what this feels like. You know? Yeah, Same that's thing. that's my reaction too. I think it's Ukrainian hackers. That's just my gut because look at the geopolitical situation right now with NATO and everything. You have Turkey, which is a NATO country, which is a flashpoint, and you have. Um, you have Ukraine, which is another flashpoint where they want to get into NATO. They, you know, they're trying to break away from Russia, and there's this tension uh, between Ukraine and Russia. And I think it would benefit the Ukraine to make Russia look bad, looking cahoots with whatever, trying to uh, meddle with the election, trying to pick a winner. And I think it helped because a Clinton administration would be beneficial to the Ukraine. Because yeah. they they want to they want to push out Russia, and uh, I think that's very reasonable theory. You know, there's no no uh, there are Russian Russian born hackers, Russian born uh, computer engineers that live in Ukraine uh, that could easily convince a uh, uh, a Western uh, security researcher looking at just the technical evidence uh, that it, it you know was a Russian. And in fact, it was Russian. It's just not necessarily Russian living in Russia. That is, in a nutshell, why attribution is something that we should just completely avoid. You know, it's just so easy to be to, to look at the available evidence and get fooled. Yeah, and, and not you know. Of course, my mind is run wild with this. You know, I think oh, it could be it could be the Turks. It's just oh man, there's there's so many possible entities that could benefit from this politically. But uh, what was I going to say? Oh, the other the other uh, thing that I, w- I wanted to ask you is uh, what about an insider threat? What's, what's what are the chances that somebody within with inside the DNC was either compromised or decided they wanted to be a whistleblower of some sort? You know, I don't you'd have to have a better look at the technical evidence to assess whether this was, you know, the work of an insider or the work of uh, an external uh, group. And I'm happy to cross-directed the investigation. I think they're responsible uh, investigators. And I, as far as the technical evidence goes, it was confirmed by two other companies. So I'm happy with leaving that as exactly as it was portrayed okay. uh, by them as an external attack. Insiders are a lot harder to discover 
and uh, they don't need to break into a network. They're already in the network. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like I would say this is probably not uh, that that. The fact is is that when we say that these are groups, APT twenty eight, APT twenty nine, or Fancy Bear, or whoever it might be, uh, Common Panda. Uh, there's a you know a hundred over a hundred names of these groups. They're all just artificial constructs. It's not like these are there's a real card carrying member of APT twenty eight out there somewhere. We don't even know that. that yeah, that that's the name. People. That's the name that the researchers put on it. That's like, yeah. that. That's just, what what FireEye and CrowdStrike call them. Right, it's a collection of technical indicators and and whoever at the time was in the network. Um, we have no idea that there's any kind of an actual group with members. You know. Uh, doing any of this. Yeah, it so, could just be one person. Yeah, exactly. My entire approach to attribution has changed. I used to be all in favor of, of trying to attribute shit. I mean, I, my most famous uh, fuck-up was uh, China and Stuxnet. And but what's his name? The guy at CrowdStrike who runs their intelligence, Adam Myers. To this day, he'll say, oh, I don't, I don't read Jeff Carr. He's the one that he thought China was behind Stuxnet. So... I even had DIA come up, a guy from DIA come up to me and say, would you give a talk at this uh, intelligence thing that we're doing on uh, how it's okay to be wrong? And I said, I'd love to. That's a, great, that's a great topic because that's really the bottom line here. People hate to be wrong. They, they don't want to. Oh, yeah. They don't want to go against the prevailing wisdom, and they definitely don't want to be wrong and won't even admit it when they are wrong. Oh, that's the worst. It, it's yeah. bad enough that people are wrong, but the fact that they can't admit it. I, you know, well, you're going to be wrong. I mean, that's the thing. You're going to be wrong. It's, it's like trying to be afraid of it, or, and even worse, to criticize people you know, for doing it. That's just, that's just dumb. So like with China, I, at least with China at the time, and everybody was pointing to the U.S. for stocks that I was pissed off because I thought like, nobody is even talking about alternatives. And that was my only goal, was to try to get, why couldn't it be another country? You know, and here are reasons why it might be another country. Let's just, you need to constantly talk about it being the U.S. or Israel and not look at other alternatives. That was in the early days. And then once we knew for sure that it was the U.S., or at least we knew for sure because of Sanger's very compelling um, articles about it, I said... I did something that nobody else ever does, which is I said I was wrong. You know, I wasn't wrong because I, I did a bad job with uh, looking at the available facts. I was I I looked I thought that the facts supported my perspective, but clearly I made some mistakes, and and uh, uh, and that's just how it goes. You know, in in the world of intelligence, it's okay to be wrong as long as you can go back and figure out what happened. To, to, to lead you to the wrong conclusion. What's not okay is for you to just continue to make the same mistakes again and again and again. Like in my case, I took, didn't even consider that it was the U.S. I, was, I really didn't think it was. You know, I had my own bias. I really did not think that Stuxnet was a U.S. operation. So those were two things that I that I was able to walk away from that and learn from. And so I, I said, I told the AI, I said, sure, I'd be happy to come and give a talk on why it's okay to be wrong. And uh, and I did back that, that year. I have a question for you. 
Who do you think Swift on security is? Oh, that's a good question. I do not know. I, I'm guessing that whoever that person is doesn't live in the U.S. But I, other than that, I, I don't know. I, I think they're funny as hell. I love reading whoever that person is. Uh, their, their tweets, I think, are sometimes really, really hysterical. Uh, I appreciate the fact that they're fair-minded. Yeah, I brought that. I brought that up because Swift on security um, was promoting uh, your original um, Medium piece, and also sort of curated this uh, Twitter um, discussion uh, between yourself and um, Thomas. And yeah, yeah, she. I hope it's a she. I in my I'm, in my head, she is is this cybersecurity goddess that can only be be embodied by Taylor Swift because that's the closest creature on earth that resembles the, the beauty and talent of the entity behind Swift security. And, and I'm going to, and I think Swift security is in the Bay area. Ah, I'm thinking it's a Silicon Valley based security professional, super hot, and looking for an eligible bachelor in the Bay Area. So, and I, I hope that you hook up. Uh, Tay Tay, Tay Tay, if you're listening, <laughs> hit me up. Hit me up, baby. <laughs> and it's nice to have someone like Swift on security who is, is contributing to dialogue, but do, doing it in a satirical way. Um, another person I love is um, Rob Graham from Errata Security, yeah, yeah, yeah. who I've interviewed before and, and, and hung out with. He's a great guy. He brings he bring he also wrote a piece um, on attribution and the DNC hacks, which is which is good reading as well. He's always got a great take on stuff. So yeah, I like Rob. I, I disagree with him probably as much as I agree with him, but I like I like his sense of humor. And I, I think he's done uh, written some really great pieces. I think it's important that skeptics be made more, that, that we invite skepticism in, in this field, and that we not try to crucify people who disagree with us. And for years, that has, it's, the latter has been the case. I remember back when, back around 2010 or 2011, when Mandian was pushing the APT equals China. So any APT-style attack would be China, by definition. Uh, Richard Baitlick was, had published several times back then that APT is a who and not a what, and meaning APT was a code name for China. Time has proven that to be completely false. We now know that Russia has been engaging in acts of cyber espionage for many, many years, and Mandian completely ignored that by virtue of their marketing machine. We don't know. I mean, this is, this is a young industry. Skepticism should be the rule, not the exception. These companies and the people that run them are wrong as often as they're right, because that's the nature of the beast. But because people are small-minded or narrow-minded, what frequently happens is that, and what has certainly happened to me, is that uh, skeptics are personally attacked. Their reputations are attacked. Their names are attacked. Uh, it's just enough to shut you up uh, for many people. And that's why, you, that's why I'm so happy that in 2014, when FireEye tried to uh, push 
this as a attack against Sony from North Korea, I was really happy to see so many more skeptical voices coming up, you know, by authoritative people and them getting press. Uh, you'll notice, in, for example, the Washington Post never gives uh, one line to a skeptic. From the headline on down, it is uh, almost word for word whatever the, the cybersecurity company that is promoting the, the evidence is saying. Oh, and, 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 and the DNC leak is a perfect example of that. Be- yeah. In fact, the same exact reporter for the Washington Post reported on the leak when it was first when it when it first was reported, what, in June? And they back then, you know, CrowdStrike gave their findings and this reporter, I'm not gonna say her name, but she basically reported this DNC hack is the russians it is the russians and then a month later a little a little bit over a month later while when these these emails get released by uh, wikileaks suddenly she writes an article where it's kind of it, it's completely different it's maybe the russians did it maybe not it's like what what changed in that month and a half from you know uh, obviously give her a little bit of credit because she's kind of going along with what you're saying where she's now writing a piece that's skeptical-ish it totally flies in the face of her earlier reporting that was was calling it fact and it's kind of been reversed in the mainstream where it when when it originally came out uh people just kind of ignored it nobody nobody really hardly you, you hardly saw any headlines about it until it wasn't until of course wikileaks puts it out there suddenly it's it's a thing not that that guccifer uh blog hadn't been sitting there for a month almost you know for people to look at it already i just read a recent study 60 percent of people read a headline and they stop right there they read the headline they never even begin to read the article oh yeah i'm the worst on that i you know i'll tweet out an article based solely on the headline i've gotten burned doing that several times i've learned not to do that since yeah especially now because everything's clickbait all these headlines are sensationalized you go on drudge report and any day of the it doesn't matter Go on Drudge Report, look at like five headlines, and you'll be convinced that the world is ending, that the apocalypse yeah. is near. And then you yeah. click on it, and and it's it's not even close to what the headline describes it as. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, so most people are just are, are not going, they don't have the time or the interest to actually dig into anything. So uh, so the all of this favors the person who makes a sensationalist claim. And, and that's why, so that's why I'm hoping that... Uh, starting with Sony, now continuing with the, the DNC hack, uh, and, and hopefully the, the momentum will continue that more and more people will say, just let's just calm down and, you know, look at how much validity does this evidence have and, you know, and approach these things uh, in a more sensible way and not in a sensational way. And um, time will tell, I guess. Yes, it will. And uh, once again, my guest for this episode, Jeffrey Carr, security researcher, CEO of Taya Global, and founder of Suits and Spooks. And also, you're an author of Inside Cyber Warfare. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Suits and Spooks and, and your book. Thanks. So, uh, 
Susan Spooks is uh, entering, going to be entering its sixth uh, year. Our event, uh, next event coming up is in Washington, D.C. on uh, January 11th and 12th. Just go to suitsandspooks.com for all the details. It's a place where we invite folks from the intelligence community and the private sector to come and hash out uh, these uh, uh, the facts surrounding uh, uh, issues uh, and conflicts in cyberspace. We keep it a nice intimate group of no more than 150 people and uh, and over two days in uh, in D.C. I'm sure there'll be lots of suits and spooks there. Yes, absolutely. How'd you come up with that name, Suits and Spooks? What was the idea behind that? I just liked it. You know, I, my goal was to bring together folks from the uh, intelligence community with people in Silicon Valley. This was back before, you know, that was happening so frequently. And I was just inspired. Uh, it just popped into my head one day. And it, it has proven to be a, a really cool uh, attention grabber in, in, a, in a world where there are literally uh, 1,200 or, or more security conferences going on every year. Yeah, I'm going to DEF CON this week yeah of course i mean that's uh, there are certain ones that everybody wants and deservedly so everybody wants to go to they all love them they're great it's a huge party and uh i'm looking forward to this year they have this darpa grand cyber challenge darpa essentially sponsored a bunch of groups to do research on developing uh, tools to i guess tools or algorithms to detect threats or, or breaches in real time rather than somebody coming across it months or years later yeah um so uh and and your book uh my book is now a little bit dated the uh, second edition came out in 2011 but uh, it's it's sort of more of an anthology i think we, there's uh, a lot of great folks much smarter than i am have contributed to the uh, production of that book uh, to both editions so I think it's a, uh, it's a very good resource, and I, I invite people to, uh, to find it online uh, if they haven't already. That's Inside Cyber Warfare by Jeffrey Carr. Uh, if folks want to stalk you on Twitter, where, where can they find you? Yeah, Jeffrey Carr, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-C-A-R-R. Thank you so much, Jeff. For Can I call you Jeff? Yep. Do, do you yeah, prefer you Jeff, or Je- does it matter? prefer jeff actually well thank you jeff i really appreciate you taking time to break things down for me i like many people um am pretty much clueless when it comes to this stuff and just have to uh rely on folks like yourself who have more insight and background in this and uh you know it's it's tough it's really tough when you're on you're on the on the twitter and 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 the twitter is telling you it's the russians but your gut is telling you it's maybe it's the ukrainians maybe it's the turks maybe who knows inside job blah 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 you know the tinfoil hat just just takes me to places that I probably shouldn't go. And it's great to have voices of reason and skepticism out there, uh, such as yourself. Thank you. uh, I really appreciate that you gave me uh, this time. Uh, I do want to encourage uh, people to be skeptical. Um, There's an awful lot that we do not know uh, when it comes to cyberspace, and it's very easy uh, to be fooled. Better to be uh, skeptical, especially when it comes to uh, nation-state versus nation-state activities, uh, where the consequences uh, could be very, very harmful for so many uh, innocent people. And so that's why I always preach caution. 
Yeah, I will proceed with caution now when I, before, I, <laughs> before before I tweet. Uh, although it is it is fun to speculate. I have to I have to admit it's it's fun to just guess. Yeah. It's fun to yeah, guess. Listen, as long as as long as somebody says that I'm speculating, great. My only issue is when somebody says it was blah 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 that they have, and that that person has you know some weight of authority uh, behind it. So that's that to me is the problem. Well, I'll tell you one thing: you you don't have to speculate about my desire for swift on security. Yeah. <laughs> Tay Tay, hit me up on Twitter. I'm following you. Follow back. Anyway, all right. Thanks a lot, Jeffrey. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Cool. Talk All right. Later. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vince of the Bay podcast. Catch prior episodes by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. Visit my bloggity blog. It's vinceinthebay.com and hit me up on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash Vince in the Bay.